1: Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and
2: Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, Lauren Lee Chen here with Aaron Fishman, and we're going to be talking Lakers today with special guest Darius Soriano, who is the owner and editor of Forum Blue and Gold, the Lakers website on ESPN True Hoop, and also a co-host of the Lakers Film Room podcast. Like my co-host Aaron, the producer and voice of our intro, Jonathan Santiago, and our previous guest, James Hamm, Darius is an alumnus of UC Davis, where he was a member of a rap group and at different times randomly found himself in freestyle sessions with the legendary Bay Area MC, Gift of Gab, from Black Blackalicious, and also the LA hip-hop trio, The Alcoholics. Without further ado, here's Aaron to start us off.
1: Darius, you're our second consecutive UC Davis guest. It's really good to have you on. What's going on? Oh, not much, not much. Yes, UC Davis, represent, represent. So yeah, we had James Hamm last week. He's a fellow Aggie also. Talked about the Kings and Cousins. Now we're here to talk about the Lakers, who had a big front office overhaul last week. Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak, both gone. Now Magic Johnson's the president of basketball operations. They hired former agent Rob Polinka as general manager. Just for Lakers fans listening or people interested around the NBA, what's your big picture takeaway from that management shakeup?
0: Um, I think big picture, it was, uh, I think it was time for a change. I didn't necessarily like the way it went down per se, you, you know, just like a morning press release. And then suddenly these guys were essentially fired. Mitch Kupchak had been with the team for over 30 years as both a player and executive within the front office. And Jim Buss is obviously um, a part owner and had been working in the front office for almost 20 years himself. And I think for 12 years under the title of VP of basketball operations. So that was just a big change, even though the writing was sort of on the wall once Magic was hired as an advisor to Jeannie Buss, who was reporting directly to her. Once that happened, I think everyone sort of knew that change was on the horizon. The timing of it, though, was awkward. And just the way it was handled, I thought, was rough for everyone involved, just like this press release. And, you know, it was like four or five paragraphs down before people got to start thanking the folks who were let go for their contributions. Big picture, though, moving forward, I'm sort of intrigued by the Palinka aspect. And I think. The Magic Johnson thing, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic. I'm more along the lines of I'm just sort of hanging back and waiting to see how things go. Magic's very well respected in the business world. And obviously, he was an amazing player. We'll see how all of that translates to a final decision maker on a basketball side of decision making, right?
1: Yeah, I think also a lot of people have an idea or they think they have a good idea of how he'll run things just based on his Twitter persona, which is often mocked, just (laughs) saying obvious things and not being very analytical. But then again, that isn't really that great of an indicator. Also, Rob Polenka as general manager should be doing a lot of stuff, I would think. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. With the new collective bargaining agreement, it's seen as increasingly important to have a general manager who understands it. And as I mentioned earlier, he was an agent for a long time. And you would think would be very familiar with that. Do you think that that played a large role in that? And also the success that Bob Myers, another former agent, for example, has had with the Warriors? Yeah, I think it's sort of an inspired hire. I do think that and it's sort of outside the box,
0: so Myers is often a comparison that's made just because, you know, he's sort of the most recent example. And so I, I think all Lakers fans are crossing their fingers and hoping that that Polinka would be as successful as Myers has been with the Warriors. It's interesting because Polinka has all of this experience, obviously, with understanding the CBA. He's obviously been on the other side of the table in terms of negotiations. And I think one of the key reasons that he would have been hired was because of that sort of network and sort of his Rolodex that he has in terms of contacts around the league, right? He's got connections um, like on the player side. He's done deals with basically every front office across the league. He's got player connections, not only from his client base, but I mean, I'm also assuming that he's made inroads with college players as well, right? Which isn't necessarily something that current NBA executives would have the opportunity to do because of like the rules that govern that and and player contact between NBA front offices and current MCAA players. So I think that that's also a big piece of this. As much as Magic Johnson has sort of those general and broad NBA connections because he's Magic Johnson, I think that Polinka would certainly have more of those sort of boots on the ground type of connections and that the Lakers are, at least I
1: would expect them to look to leverage that early on. That's fair. Now just to talk about a couple players on the roster in moves that were made by the previous front office. Luo Dang and Timofei Mozgov both got four-year contracts worth a lot of money. Seemingly now those weren't great acquisitions with how the team is still building for the future and not in playoff contention. How much do those two contracts limit the team's offseason flexibility heading into the offseason? Or what do you think they should do with both of those guys? So I think for the upcoming offseason,
0: it definitely limits the flexibility. The Lakers could make a couple of moves to open up essentially a max contract slot for a player who is in that seven to nine year range. So like a guy who would fit into that would be like a Gordon Hayward type, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of flexibility, I think it kind of cuts both ways that I think the Lakers were really looking to add some pieces based off of the free agent strikeouts that they'd had in previous seasons and that idea that they were going to chase stars and then those guys either don't come or in the case of last summer with Kevin Durant, like they didn't even get a meeting. I think they were trying to sort of cut against that and, and say, well, we need to get someone. I'm not as necessarily concerned about this next off season as I am about the summer of 2018 and then beyond that. So we had a piece that ran today or yesterday at Forum Blue and Gold, and it just talked about really the window for the Lakers to add free agent talent is now essentially the next two summers, because beyond that is when Julius Randle is then extension eligible, and then every summer after that, the same would be true for like D'Angelo Russell, and then the year after that for Brandon Ingram. At some point, they're going to have to pay the young players And while Dang and Mozgov are still on the books. And so that leads us directly to your next question, which is what should they do with them? And it's tough. Like the rules, like without getting into too much CBA jargon, you can use the stretch provision on one of those guys. But the rules basically limit the amount of dead money you can have on your salary cap from from waiving guys. So they're not going to be able to waive both of them with the stretch provision. And so I don't exactly know how they're going to get rid of both of them. But I think within the next two or three years, the hope is that they'll be able to do that, either by waiving one and trading one or trading both. But long term, I just don't see how both of them will still be on the Lakers at the end of their contracts.
2: Moving on to more on the court topics, the Lakers got off to a surprisingly strong start this season. They were about 500 through the first month and change before getting derailed by some key injuries and never really bouncing back how did the calculus change over the course of the season from trying to get the young players their first meaningful weaning experience and maybe trying to contend for a playoff spot to now more thinking about the future and maybe about keeping their top three protected pick
0: yeah, I think the fast start sort of fooled a lot of people, it, Well, even me, to, to a certain extent. I think I wrote after the first 20 games that, based off of how they were playing, I envisioned them being in the hunt for the eighth seed. Like, I didn't say they would make the playoffs, but I thought that they would sort of hang around and be kind of where, like, the Blazers are, for example, right? So we're sort of in that eight through ten mix. And that just didn't happen. The key injury to me was to D'Angelo Russell, just because even though Lou Williams was playing behind him, and Lou Williams has had a tremendous year, and and he continues to do that now with the Rockets after being traded, the guards behind him and Clarkson, right, like Jose Calderon, who has since been waived, and Marcelo Huertas, who was traded at the deadline, those guys just didn't show that they could actually play at a level that would you know, replicate what Russell was bringing to the floor. The the on-off splits for Russell during that time showed just how much he helped the roster. So when he got hurt, I think it really just threw everything off and the Lakers got into scramble mode. And then you combine that with the league sort of catching up with what they were doing. And some of the young players, um, Randall especially, missed Russell, and he sort of regressed to the mean a little bit in terms of his production. I think it just sort of changed the outlook, and they never really got their groove back. Their defense really fell off a cliff, and and they're essentially a bottom five defense again, and their offense never really got back to the point where they could... Find that same balance that they had between starters and bench units that could really sort of push teams throughout the course of an entire game. They had too many of those three or four or five minute stretches during the third quarter or in between the third and fourth quarter, like that split of minutes where they just would end up getting raked over the coals, right? Like the other team goes on a 15-3 15-3 run or an 8-0 or 10-0 run, and, and then that's basically the game, and they just couldn't recover. So moving forward, I think it'll be interesting because now all those veterans are essentially gone except for Nick Young. Like, Mozgov is out of the rotation. The last game the Lakers played, Luol Deng didn't play, I think, and I think he was a healthy scratch. And so the team has now totally been turned over to to the young guys, which I think for the last 120 games is going to benefit them a great deal. But I also wish that they maybe would have done that shift a little bit earlier during the season so we would get a larger sample.
2: I think a lot of people were a little bit fooled by the Lakers' surprising start into thinking they could be a potential playoff team. I think a lot of that may have been Because of the influence of changing coaches from Byron Scott to Luke Walton and seeing what Luke Walton did in the half season of head coaching the Warriors, thinking he was this sort of basketball whisperer for the young guys. Even now, through the losing, it seems like he always remains patient and collected. He tries to make it a constructive experience for the young guys. What have you seen from him in contrast to other recent coaches for the Lakers?
0: Uh, When you say uh, other recent coaches, you mean how terrible Byron Scott was? (laughs) (laughs) No, we could just say that out loud, right? We don't have to (laughs) whisper about that. Um, It's basically night and day. I think it was after the Lakers lost to the Spurs very recently, and Walton had basically said that he got into his guys well in the locker room. And then I think sort of the natural follow-up to that was, well, what did you say? And he was kind of like, That's basically between us and the way that I coach. I'm not going to really get on my guys in public. Like that's not really the way that I do things, which is total. Like I said, that's night and day to the way that Byron Scott coached this team. And, you know, Scott had a ton of hot takey type quotes that, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast just rattling them off, but... However many times he called the team soft and he he once said that he wouldn't want any of the players with him in a foxhole and just all these amazingly just, oh man, just please be quiet already quotes. So I definitely appreciate that from Walton that when he was hired, I think that he knew what he was getting himself into. Whereas I think when Byron Scott got hired he had this impression that he had Kobe Bryant and that everything was going to be okay and maybe that influenced the way that he handled things as much as sort of his old school 80s basketball player toughness um i played for Pat Riley mindset sort of shaped his his coaching style as well but but i do think that Walton very early on built up some equity with the young guys and sort of gotten their ears early about kind of how much he supported them and then believed in them. And he said that very publicly to a lot of people. And I think that that's helped him sort of be able to say things more behind the scenes and get on his guys and, and drop some hints even in public to the press about, you know, wanting guys to play harder at certain times or be a little bit less mistake prone while still sort of keeping that bond. Whereas I think, you know, previous coaches, especially Byron, sort of never really got that from them. Like he's just sort of was that type of teacher who I'm the teacher, so you're going to respect me rather than trying to play to the players a little bit more and know that he had to sort of establish that type of working relationship with them to get more out of them. And I think that that's showing with the effort that the players are mostly putting forth. Mostly, I say that because their defense is still terrible.
2: Yeah, they're twenty ninth right now in defensive efficiency. I think Yikes. it's it's a large reason why they haven't been very good this year. But I mean, terrible defense is not necessarily that surprising for such a young team, especially such a young team weighted by minutes played and the role their key players have. But for a Luke Walton coach team, it is slightly surprising, especially because he did want to put an emphasis on it earlier on the season. Do you see more potential there on the defensive end for these Lakers going forward?
0: Um, So yes and no. I think some of their key players just have defensive limitations and and I'm not sure if they're ever going to be able to fully overcome them. So, you know, some guys have natural defensive talent, right? Like a guy like Draymond Green or Kawhi Leonard or Tim Duncan, or, you know, you can go back in time with guys like Olajuwon or whoever, right? And some of those guys just have a defensive aptitude. And I don't think that that's talked about often enough when we talk about the great defenders, like defense is often framed within the context of, well, all you have to do is try hard. Well, that's not necessarily true. I think the same way that Some offensive players have like a great feel for passing and for seeing the floor. I think some players have a great feeling for just defense and like positioning and, and that sort of special type of hand eye coordination that helps you, you know, reach in and actually hit the ball rather than like hit a guy's forearm, for example. And so I think from that aspect, the Lakers don't have enough of those guys and definitely don't have a a game changing defender on their roster within their Core players. Now, that's not an end all be all for defensive success, but I think when you pair that with this lack of experience that they have and, and this understanding of defensive scheme and having that sort of, that level of understanding naturally where they're doing it without thinking of where they're supposed to be and what their rotations are and passing off switches and all these technical things that you need to do defensively in order to be um, a solid defensive team because it's so important for those guys to sort of move on a string that I think that they can improve to a certain level, but I don't think you're ever going to mistake D'Angelo Russell for Patrick Beverly, right? Like that's just not going to happen in will will in his career. And I think you could say the same thing for a guy like Julius Randle. Like he's never gonna be a defensive player like Draymond Green. So I think if the Lakers are gonna take the next step as as a team defensively, they're probably gonna need Brandon Ingram to really become that sort of two-way player. And they're going to have to find more defensive players to supplement their roster so that they can build a viable defensive scheme, sort of one through 10 in terms of their rotation players so that they can end up in the top 15 or 16 in the league, you know, like a top half of the league defense, similar to like what Houston's done. They don't have great individual defenders, but they've got enough of those guys who are good enough, then you supplement them with, okay, well, now we only have one or two bad defensive players on, well, on the floor at one time. But the Lakers too often have like three or four on the floor at one time or sometimes five. And it's like, how can you expect to be a good defensive team when six to eight of your top 10 players like just aren't that good on that side of the ball and are young? right? So mm-hmm. so that's why I'm saying yes and no, that they will need to supplement their roster with guys who are better on
1: that side of the ball. Like defense, turnovers also, I think, is a mark of a young team. The Lakers commit a lot of turnovers. They also employ the eighth highest pace in the league. But even if we adjust for pace, they're committing the fifth highest turnovers per possession. And they don't get very many assists. And I think that's an understatement. They're 28th in a number of advanced metrics regarding passing. Yes. D'Angelo Russell has improved his assist rate this season. Still definitely not one of the better passers in the league yet. But I mean, we've seen him have some nice vision. But is that like defense, a personnel issue or a combination of different factors here?
0: Um, I think it's a combination, but I do think that it is sort of personnel related too. And so I actually did a little tweet storm about this the other day. But Russell's assist rate or assist percentage for the season is it's almost at 29. I think it's like 28.2 or 28.8 or somewhere around there. And in the last 20 games or so, I think it's right at 30 or 30.2 which is in line with guys like Kyle Lowry and Steph Curry and Kemba Walker and other guys who sort of made the all-star team. Now, he's not at the level of like, you know, where he's prime Steve Nash or like, I think Russell Westbrook's is like over 50 this year and John Walls is like 45 or 46. So, so there's definitely room for growth there. I think one of the aspects about russell sorry i'm going to go on a little tangent about russell here is that one of the things that he doesn't do well as a passer is that he's not penetrating the lane very often and so you know a a lot of the guys who i mentioned above you often create assists based off of dribble penetration right it's because you're drawing help and when the help comes, you're dropping it off to a big guy or because you're penetrating all of the way to, to the rim, then weak side guards and wings start to pinch to help on big guys. And then that opens up passes either to the corner or or hook passes back to sort of the shoulder area for spot up three pointers. And since Russell's not necessarily a penetrating guard at this stage of his career, then the types of passes that he's creating are mostly sort of those skip passes that come out of the pick and roll where the big man draws help because of his gravity and then he's making skip passes or he's making the uh, pocket pass to to a diving big man. And, And so I don't want to oversell his passing ability, but I think that he's actually a really good passer who just hasn't opened up the rest of his passing game based off of the limitations that come from his dribble penetration or lack thereof. One of the things I like about Russell is that he can make the next level read when it comes to passing, which some guys don't really have that. The guy who sort of makes that pass best in the league is James Harden. And I'm not comparing Russell to Harden, but he has sort of similar vision and instincts within that play. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about Russell. The problem with the Lakers is that they actually just don't have a lot of natural ball movers. So that's basically – if you look at Nance and you look at Russell and and you look at Ingram, those are the three guys who I would say are sort of natural ball movers who, before they catch the ball, they are scanning the floor to see where the next pass should go. No one else on the team does that. And so you just start to see the disparity between a team like the Lakers who have guys who can make sort of the highlight pass – but not a lot of guys who just move the ball on to the open man very naturally. And to me, when you're going to be a high assist team, it's more the latter. It's it's teams that move the ball quickly and sort of know where their teammates are going to be within the context of their offensive scheme. And too often the Lakers... Like a guy like Julius Randle, for example, he's considered sort of this playmaking power forward and he's gotten a couple of triple doubles this year. So clearly he can rack up some assists, but most of those are coming from his sort of individual offensive creation. To get back to your question about like sort of passing and defense, those are really the two skills that I would really want the Lakers to look at in terms of player acquisition over the next two or three years. It's guys who can defend and guys who can pass. Because I think they've got enough guys who can finish and score the ball well.
1: Also, I forgot to say this in the question, but Nick Young is a guy on their team. So that also is part of why the assist rate is so low, not to single out one guy.
0: No, like all Nick Young does is shoot and shoot threes, right? And very similar, like even Lou Williams, right? Like Lou Williams would have these four or five or six assist games, but... He was always thinking shot first, and I think if you're going to be a really good offense in the NBA, you need multiple guys who are willing to sort of make that, that swing, swing pass, right? Where the ball comes to you at the shoulder and then you're swinging it to the corner or vice versa, like making the hockey assist and the Lakers don't have enough guys who make that pass well.
1: And before moving on to the next question, I also want to point out that D'Angelo Russell turned 21 last week. So we have all these flashy plays that excite fans and the hot start that we mentioned earlier. I think a lot of those things make fans a little impatient and want D'Angelo Russell to just be an all-star right away. And he's clearly showing improvement, but as we've talked about, he has a long way to go. Julius Randle is another guy that people are excited about, but I think some have been disappointed with his lack of consistency this season. Some games he is just so aggressive. We saw this in the narrow loss to the Hornets this week. He just put up big numbers across the board. To what extent do you think that his aggressiveness is a key indicator to the level of success the, that the Lakers' offense will have? And, and if it is important, how does Luke Walton and company get him to be aggressive on a nightly basis? To answer your first question, yes. Randall's so important
0: in terms of just how aggressive he is and not only looking for his teammates, but looking for his own shot and just being a guy who is playing downhill as often as possible, but doing it under control you you know, when you look at some of the Lakers players, they're just not as physical, right? Like they just don't have a lot of guys who are as physical as Randall. Like he's not the best athlete per se, like a LeBron James type, right? Like they're basically the same size and look at the difference in terms of like how high they jump or whatever. But Randall is as strong as a bull and he is really quick for a guy his size. And the more that he can leverage that to really threaten the defense, I think the better the Lakers are going to be offensively. In terms of getting him to do it more often, I think that that's really the question that the coaching staff is asking themselves pretty much after every game that he has, like he had against the Hornets, right? Which is, why can't we get this guy to do this four out of five games instead of two out of five games? And some of that I think is youth and inexperience, I don't really want to, like, point to a guy's personal life, but, but you know, Randall also had a baby very recently. As a father of two, I can tell you that, you know, those first few months are are a period where you're just, like, not sleeping. And I don't know if Randall is dealing with that type of stuff, too, but I would not doubt that some of just that inconsistency that we've seen in the last few months could just be tied to, you know, him sort of being... You know, a little bit more tired. I remember this is a tangent, but I don't know if either of you have read like the Free Darko books. But, Which,
1: yeah, we've both seen them.
0: But you know, there was that study that they t- that they did with like Tracy McGrady and how sort of um, the level of his play started to decrease, like after he started to have kids, because he was a guy who always used to get in a pregame nap and do all of these things in terms of getting like extra sleep, and then suddenly you're a dad and you just don't get those same opportunities. Like I said, I don't want to necessarily point to that with Randall, but, but I bring that up because I think it's easy to forget that these guys have lives outside of basketball that can maybe impact how they play on, well, on the court that aren't always tied to like X's and O's and how hard a guy is practicing or whether or not he's studying like in the film room or things like that.
2: You had a really insightful article on Forum Blue and Gold this week about how typically when you have top draft picks, those guys are usually going to be going to very bad teams. They're going to be asked to take on big minutes and very major roles earlier on in their career than usual. The Lakers have a sort of unique situation in that, despite having really bad records, they've had veterans eating up a lot of those minutes in previous seasons. It would be Kobe in this season, Lou Williams and Nick Young, for example. Speaking about Brandon Ingram specifically, last week he was being mentioned in a lot of trade rumors that the Lakers didn't want to give him up for DeMarcus Cousins. He's expected to take on a lot more minutes with the trading of Lou Williams, Lou Aldane getting phased out of the rotation and Luke Walton focusing more on the young core going forward. What do you hope and expect to see from him in terms of his growth for the rest of the season?
0: So Ingram's had an interesting year just because he's, the things that people thought were going to translate to the NBA relatively early haven't in terms of him. He was this really good scorer at Duke and pre-draft, there was a lot of like comparisons between like his shot chart and like Ben Simmons shot chart right and like look at the diversity in Brandon Ingram's game and how he hit like 40% of his threes at duke and this this that and the other but he's shooting the ball poorly like at the pro level and he's missing a lot of free throws i think he's like probably under 65% and for a for a shooting forward that's that's pretty poor one of the things i'd like to see from him for the rest of the season is just sort of continue to remain aggressive. Earlier I sort of spoke to how he's this natural ball mover and I really like that aspect about him, but I also want to see him continue to look for his own shot and not always just so quickly like move will move the ball on to an open teammate just because that guy is open. I've mostly liked his defense. He can get a little bit lost off of well, off of the ball, but but he's had some really good moments of on-ball defense, and he's really started to, like, leverage his length defensively, which I like. Um, he's doing the same on the backboards. And so, to me, there's a lot to like about Ingram, and I was totally in agreement when the report came out that the Lakers did not want to include him in a trade for Cousins. You know, Ingram is still only 19 in fact, like his whole rookie season is going to be an age 19 rookie season. So he's just so young and he has so much potential and he's got a good head on his shoulders and he works really hard. And, and so there, there's just a lot of things to like about him. And I wouldn't be so quick to bury him, not that you guys are or anything, but I just think that he's going to turn into a real player for the Lakers, even if he's not showing it necessarily right now. We only see it in like fits and flashes.
2: We just have one final question for you, Darius. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us about the Lakers. This is sort of the typical question you might get at job interviews, but what's your vision for how the Lakers can turn this franchise around in the next two to five years? And how much confidence do you have in the ability of this new regime in the new front office to turn the team around through building, through the young core, getting free agents and through the draft?
0: Well, you know, I think them retaining their draft pick this summer is a really key piece of all of that. Because if they're able to keep their top three protected pick, then it opens up a fair number of avenues for them to improve much more quickly, I think, either by using it in the draft or trading it, or, or drafting a guy, and then now they have another key talent so they can look to maybe trade one of their younger players who may have value across the league. I think keeping the pick is a pretty key part of that. And yeah, I think sort of leveraging what we talked about earlier, that Gravitas that Magic Johnson has as still sort of this really like brand name guy who who can sort of be a closer in the room when talking with free agents and then leveraging those relationships that Palinka might have around the league those are to me the the key aspects for for turning this team around and and obviously internally i think this huge onus is on the player development folks right like the coaching staff to really break through with some of the players Um, so that they can maximize their potential. D'Angelo Russell is a talented kid. Brandon Ingram's a talented kid. Julius Randle is as well. And so maximizing those players' potential to really get the most out of them so that in the next two to five years, they grow into the best versions of themselves. I think that that's really the best way the Lakers are going to become good because they then form a foundation that makes it easier to recruit in free agency and get guys to come and play with them. I think that a lot of that Laker exceptionalism is sort of oversold by a lot of Lakers fans, right? But I think around the league, there's still this sense that players would not mind playing for the Lakers and living in Los Angeles, but they want to do so when the team is actually going to be good because that's where they're going to reap the rewards – of wearing that uniform and playing for that organization and and in that city so a lot's going to depend on on those young guys and i think that again that comes back to their own individual work ethic and then the work of the coaches to kind of extract that from them
2: thanks again so much darius it was a pleasure getting to talk to you and getting to pick your brain about these lakers
0: Oh, I appreciate you guys have having me on and letting me ramble like I was telling you guys offline. Um, you should have cut me
1: off more. <laughs> That's okay. You you gave us a lot of good stuff, really good stuff. Well I appreciate it and and, and anytime,
0: you guys wanna just let me ramble forever. I bore the road.